Hey, it's Melissa here, the host of the Filled with Gold Widow podcast. I've had an amazing time doing this podcast, and I'm so grateful for all of you who have listened and supported me along the way. As you might know, I've been working on a new podcast with my two widow besties, Kim Murray and Jen Zwink, called the Widow Squad Podcast. And I've made the decision to focus all my energy on it. The Widow Squad Podcast is a show that provides a space where widows can come together share stories, and find comfort in knowing they're not alone. It's a show we're really passionate about and hope that you'll give it a listen. If you've enjoyed Filled with Gold, I know you'll love the Widow Squad podcast. It's the same kind of honest, heartfelt, and sometimes funny conversations that you've come to expect from me. But it's also a show that will give you a deeper understanding of what it means to be a widow. So if you're ready for a new podcast, I hope you'll check out the Widow Squad podcast. You can find it on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're not ready to say goodbye to the Filled with Gold Widow podcast, you can always go back and listen to all the old episodes. Whether you're a recent widow or have been on this journey for a while, we're here to support and empower each other. So come join us. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you on the Widow Squad podcast. You're listening to the Filled with Gold Widow podcast the show that puts you in touch with expert resources to support you in moving forward after the death of your spouse and life partner. I'm your host, Melissa Pierce. Let's dig in. On this week's Filled with Gold Widow podcast, we have Sheila Hoover. Sheila Hoover has a PhD in adult education and 20 years of experience in academia as an education specialist, making information accessible in creative and engaging ways. She wrote the book, Helping Through Heartache, an easy guide to supporting anyone who is grieving in the years after the death of her husband, Wes. The content in the book is based on Sheila's own research, connections with others who have experienced profound loss, support groups and organizations, and direct experience in the aftermath of losing her husband, parents, close friends, and pets. She is also trained as an end-of-life doula. Welcome to the show, Sheila. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me. So can you tell me a little bit how you and Wes, your spouse, how you met? Yeah, um, we met through a, a mutual friend and we got married when I was 40. So I was somewhat of a late bloomer and he was a healer and a body worker and an addictions counselor. And he had also been in an intensive meditation practice for pretty much his whole life. And so that's what we connected around was an interest in alternative therapies and healing generally and spirituality. And um, people's first impression of him was that he was a very Zen kind of guy because he just sort of exuded this calm, loving presence. Um, but I also knew another side of him that was really funny. He had a great sense of humor. And what's also interesting about his background and what we ended up connecting with is that he knew a lot about death and dying. And he had spent time in San Francisco in the 80s during the AIDS epidemic. And he helped some very close friends um, at their end of life transitions. And so when we were together, just kind of by who he was as a person, um, when people were having a health crisis or at the end of life, they would uh, seek us out. 
And so we just ended up helping a lot of, you know, friends and relatives through that passage. And um, for me, the relationship was kind of like an apprenticeship in a way, because he taught me so much about how you serve somebody at the end of life. And it was interesting because I realized he had actually trained me to serve his transition when he died. Wow. So without even knowing it, like that journey you were on together, he imparted all this wisdom on you as far as an end of life doula. Is that where you got your training was through him? No. So, so I had all these real world experiences with these, you know, friends and family members. And I was never the kind of person who was like, oh, I want to be a hospice volunteer. Like that wasn't end of life wasn't even really on my radar. But after I had all these experiences, and then after he died, um, that's when I started getting more curious about formal training, because I had never heard of an end of life doula before. But then I watched um, a video of Alua Arthur, who's this amazing end of life doula. And I was like, oh, that's a thing. That's what we were doing. I just didn't have a name for it. So then I actually took a formal course in, in end of doula um, practices. And I felt like I was already trained in just from, mm. you know, my real world experience, but there were things that I learned and it was really great to connect with that community because people who are interested in end of life work, I feel like are just really interesting people. And they could have those really deep conversations that I'm interested in having. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like it's hard for me to have a superficial conversation. Like it's hard for me to just do casual chit chat. And when it comes to end of life matters, I feel like that's where everything gets really real. And that's kind of the space that I can relate to the most these days. Right. I mean, you definitely do have to have a calling, I think, for that vocation, you know, and, and like you said about the chit chat, uh, it just, I think it just kind of requires deep conversations and, right. and the willingness to have them. Yeah. And it was interesting because I connected with this um, Evening Star um, end of life doula collective here in Portland, where I live. And um, they said that, you know, but there aren't really uh, paying jobs for end of life doulas. Um, it's mostly kind of, you know, people, you know, are involved with hospice, or they have to, you know, hang out a shingle and start their own business, which isn't something I was interested, in. but they said, um, you will find your own path, it'll just kind of unfold before you. And um, just because I've, you know, told people the story of Wes and I, and his passing, people will seek me out as someone just to, you know, talk about their own experience with. And I always feel really honored when people kind of come out of the woodwork and seek me out. Um, and they trust me with their stories, because it's a really vulnerable place. And I'm just honored that people seek me out. So I feel like that's the path that I'm actually taking with it is just to serve the people in my immediate sphere of relations. Mm -hmm. who have questions or just need someone to listen. Yeah. And even, even word of mouth, like family members who have experienced, because I'm sure you interact with family a lot yeah. too, not mm -hmm. just the, 
the person who's dying. Um, what a what a beautiful service. Right. I, I've heard yeah. of that. I've heard of that, but I've never actually met an end of life doula or engaged <laughs> with one before. So yeah, there's some really amazing doulas out there, and there's lots of you know professional groups where doulas get together and you know talk about issues in the field. And yeah, it's a really great group of people. Sorry, um, I had one uh, close friend. She died of cancer recently. And um, before she passed, I said, do you want to have a conversation where I tell you about Wes's passing and, you know, what I experienced? And she said, yes, I would love that. So we did a Zoom call and it was just a, a really amazing conversation with lots of tears and just people, you know, both of us just being very real. And um, it was really sweet because she bought a whole bunch of copies of my book and gave them to her her relatives so that they could best help her husband after she died. And I was like, that's why I wrote this book. I mean, what and a beautiful book. I read it last night and it's very easily digestible because sometimes when, when you're grieving or when you're very vulnerable, it's hard to take in information, you know, yes. a lot of information. And it's what a beautiful gift your friend gave to her her people who she wanted to support her husband. That's beautiful. Yeah, it was really sweet. So when did, when did Wes die and how did he die? He passed in 2017 and um, he had um, a heart condition. So he passed suddenly, but also not subtle, suddenly because um, he had had a heart attack um, a couple years prior. And we, knew that his health was somewhat tenuous. And so I lived in this space where I knew that, you know, I was trying to like, you know, we were both trying to like do as much healthy stuff as we could to keep him in the body as long as possible. But we knew that it was a risk that he could die suddenly at any point. And while that's true for all of us, for me, it was very acute and it was vivid and it was something that I lived with all the time. And so because of, you know, his background with end of life stuff, he, we had a lot of conversations about that. And he always told me, instead of collapsing in worry and concern and fear, be active and shine light into whatever is troubling or concerning. And so I really had to take that on as like a spiritual practice in a way where like sometimes even when he would go and take a nap and the door was closed, I would worry because I'm like, I, I don't know what's happening. And I said to myself, okay, you can't live like this. It's too stressful to be worried like that. So I really took it on as a practice to just shine light whenever I was um, worried about him. And um, one thing he said to me was, you can always find me in the light. And that really stuck with me because I was like, you know, for me, my spiritual practice is about um, getting in touch with what transcends mortality. You know, that the, when somebody dies, it's actually, it's not the end of the relationship. It's just that they've been transformed. That's what I believe. And, you know, so we kind of looked at things in that light. And I also, um, you know, I'm very practical. And so I 
I sat him down and I said, I want you to walk me through different scenarios. If you should die in this situation, what should I do? And in that situation, what should I do? Because I knew that I would go into shock and not be able to think. So I wanted to pre-solve, you know, we had, you know, wills and healthcare directives and all that stuff. But I was like, on a practical level, what do I actually do? So we ran through different scenarios, but, you know, you can't account for everything. And at one point he just said, you know what? no matter what happens, I am okay. And that was very helpful to me. Like it helped me kind of relax into whatever happens, happens. So, but it, it was, it was challenging to live in that space of knowing that, you know, especially, you know, more towards his death, he had more heart problems. So it was, um, it became even more real and, you know, trips to the emergency room and stuff like that. And so it was, it was vivid and it was immediate. I mean, I can imagine how challenging that was because I think like, I'm looking at my situation, my husband died very suddenly, like no warning mm-hmm. at 46. I wonder, did you have like anxiety? You, you would always have to kind of quell down the anxiety, like, oh, he's taking a nap or should I put a mirror under his nose to see if he's breathing <laughs> right. or something like that? Was So that that must have been really, really challenging, but you had yeah. conversations around it. So you could yeah. kind of prep for it a little bit. Yeah, we had a lot of conversations and that was helpful. But yeah, it was, there was a lot of anxiety, that fear of not knowing what's going to happen. Like I said, that's the reality for all of us, but we can ignore it. Right. <laughs> and I yes. couldn't ignore it. Right. It was kind of staring at you in the face. And yeah. but it was nice that um, I didn't have to, I didn't have those conversations. Like with sudden death, you really don't have those. You're not really able to have those conversations. But right. with, as an end of life doula, is that typically just for like longer illnesses, hospice type of situations? Or would an end of life doula work in a situation where somebody does die suddenly? just to help the, the survivor understand, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, it's usually when there's some advanced planning involved. That's usually when doulas are involved. But I mean, um, because usually a relationship is established with the doula ahead of time. If it was a sudden death, it would be more challenging to call somebody up when things need to move quickly, <laughs> you know, in that situation. But yeah, I mean, it's always, I, I think doulas are amazing and they can be helpful at any stage. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look, I'm going to start looking into this because just yeah. the, the conversation around death and dying, it's something that we don't, it's something that we avoid a yeah, lot right? and people don't have words, um, especially those supporting the, the surviving partner, the, the survivor. Um, yeah. And I do, I want to get to your book because your book is a guide to, in supporting people who are grieving. And uh, I wonder if you can tell me a little bit about like what inspired you to, to write this book. After Wes passed, I had this sort of idealism that this would be the time in my life, this particular passage where people would be extra gentle with me and very kind. And it was kind of a rude awakening to um, get these different responses from people that were not always helpful. Because, you know, when you've, when you've lost your person, you go into shock. And I, I felt so raw and so vulnerable. 
And um, it was hard for me to deal with anything that wasn't totally fluffy bunny, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm, I do. <laughs> so, yeah. And some people were amazing, you know, and some people that I didn't expect or that I didn't know very well really stepped up and like they knew exactly what to do, exactly what to say. And that was amazing. But I would say most people, they were kind of thrown by it. And they didn't, especially because, um, like my husband was um, 18 years older than me, but I was still sort of relatively a young widow in a way. And I think there's something about that that's extra scary to people. And you probably observed that when you became a widow at so young, it was like when my elderly parents died, you know, people could relate to that. Mm-hmm. That seemed, you know, kind of correct in a way. Yeah, or in because, order. That's yeah. how it's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I got this weird mashup of different responses. Some people wanted to fix my grief. You know, they wanted to cheer me up. And when I said, you know, I'm having a really hard time, they were like, oh, you should go on antidepressants. (laughs) And, you know, because our society doesn't know what to do with grief, we tend to pathologize it. So when you're made to feel like there's something wrong with you for grieving, but it's like, of course, I'm grieving. This massive thing just happened. And it's devastating. And also people uh, projecting onto me like, what they would have wanted in my shoes, they were, that's what they wanted to do for me. And so they weren't quite connecting with what I was saying that I needed or wanted them to do, because they were so fixed on their own idea of, this is what help looks like. So I'm going to do this because this is helpful, even though it wasn't actually helpful and everybody's different. So, you know, you have to really take your cues from the person who's grieving. You know, I had people that I considered pretty close friends. And I remember one time in particular when I was at this sort of social gathering you know, a number of months after West died and ran into a friend and she looked at me like I was the grim reaper. Like she looked at me like she was terrified and she couldn't even talk to me. She right. Was like she's like, going to catch it. Yeah. <laughs> she like ran away from me and other people just sort of looked at me and like literally ran away. And I heard that so many times from other widows. And there was this uh, woman in my grief support group who she saw a friend cross the street to avoid her and that's something that I put in the book because that actually happened so everything that I put in this book is an actual experience either an experience of mine or a widow friend who had the same thing happen so I was like wow people just don't know what to do and there's well intended like they really mean well but they just come up you know it's a mirror and they're reflected you know with their own stuff and fear of death and loss. And so because, you know, my background is in instructional design and education, you know, the first place I went to was there needs to be a handbook, like Mm -hmm. there needs to be a guide. And so then I just started um, writing down the things, taking notes of things that I observed, and looking at some other books on the same topic. And I was like, I need to make this fun. Because nobody likes to live in the space of death and loss. Like I don't, it's not like fun, you know, that you're going to lose all your people. And so I was like, well, what could make this enjoyable to read? And I was like, oh yeah, cat cartoons. 
because you know cat memes and cat videos rule the internet <laughs> right I love cats. yes and you have like sad cat in here but you know they're <laughs> it's it's very digestible and you, and there's like a cat cartoon and then there's like uh, a piece of information or uh, advice and um, it's it's so it's so easy to read and fun kind of you know it's yeah it's fun yeah thank you I appreciate you saying that because that yeah. was my goal I wanted it to be enjoyable because you know if you hand somebody this giant heavy tome about um, how awful it is to you know grief you know your loved one like it's intense. And to ask somebody to spend time in that space, mm -hmm. um, a lot of people don't have the emotional bandwidth for it. So I was like, if we put cat cartoons, <laughs> then right? I kind of <laughs> wanted to get my colored pencils out and like, yes, and color them in because they're big enough to do that. And you so should, I, oh, that would be kind of a fun doodly kind of thing. And then, That's uh, awesome. You should totally yeah. do that. I know. <laughs> I, I love it. I really, perfect. really think this is a fantastic book because um, I tagged a few items because I, I was going to, and you answered my question, but I was going to ask if some of these came from personal experience. And there are so many that I didn't put in the book. Right. Oh my God. And I think the difficulty in all of this is that it's impossible to know what this feels like until you've experienced it. Because however much you can imagine how bad somebody feels when they lose their life partner, it's infinitely worse, wouldn't you say? Oh, like yeah. there are no adequate words to really describe mm -hmm. the nightmare. I mean, it's, it's so painful, supernova technicolor painful. Oh my God, yeah, it is yeah. because life is over. Like yeah. life as you imagined it is done. Yeah. Black screen is black and, and you don't have your support, you know, your, your favorite support person or the person who yeah. has your back. The per right. and, and it's just like, oh my God. And so vulnerable. You, you mentioned feeling raw and vulnerable. Yes. Yep. Just like so exposed to the world and, and just wanting that protection from your person and they're not there anymore. It's mm -hmm. so painful. And people don't, you know, they, they can't know what that feels like. And so most people just casually, you know, kind of bitch about their partners. And, you know, that's just kind of what people do. But then when your eyes are opened to the fact that, you know, every minute that you have with them is precious. And, you know, I was on um, uh, an online group, a support group for younger widows. And, it broke my heart every time somebody posted about when their husband left that day, they had gotten in a fight and they were short with them and wouldn't kiss them goodbye or something and how much regret they felt about that. And I was like, oh man, you know, you just wish everybody could feel how precious it is to have your person there for one more day. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, you know, that's the kind of thing that you can't really uh, impart to people until they lived it and lived that loss. I mean, it's I'm, heartbreaking. It is. And that's, I'm very mindful of that. I'm remarried. So I'm mm. a, a remarried widow. And um, my, my husband in this life, Sean, I'm very mindful, like of I always mm. try and like, okay, we're having a disagreement. Let's, let's wrap it up or let's work. Let's do the work. 
like do it now yes. because I don't want to let this fester for four or five days or whatever, because what, right. what if something happens? Very mindful of that. You know, yeah. we all irritate each other. I mean, everybody in you know, yeah, no relationship is, is perfect, but I'm all, I'm just much more willing to do the work, do the hard work and do it quickly for the sake of our, you know, relationship and, and just knowing that this is not promised, you right. know, our life is not promised. So, yeah, that's really beautiful to be able to do that. Yeah. 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 I'm very lucky to have him. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah, Cause I'm he likes to, to work. He likes to do the work too. Yeah. I flagged another one, which I thought was really, really on point. Another section was be mindful of, of grief comparisons. Did that happen to you? Like people comparing their grief? Not so much with me, but it was a common theme that I heard across many of my friends and widow acquaintances. And um, yeah, it's um, so challenging when it's a, a pet comparison. And like, I have lost beloved pets that I, you know, when they died, I thought that I would need to be institutionalized because I loved them and grieved them so much. But again, it's like until you've lost a life partner or a child, it's it's really it's actually really it's it's different. But when someone has lost a pet and that's the greatest loss they've ever known, I know that it feels really big. So I was really careful about how I worded it because I didn't want to say that losing a pet was lesser. It's just that when you make those comparisons to somebody who's lost a child or a life partner and you say, I know exactly how you feel, you know, my dog died, it's, it's not gonna um, probably make them feel better. Yeah, it's kind of a weird, I have a weird flip side of that. It's um, a year after Dave, my husband who died, year after he died, I went to just this overall grief and loss, kind of a yoga, day-long yoga retreat. It was all around grief and loss. It wasn't specific to widows mm -hmm. or widowhood. And so we were all, we were sitting around at the first part of it and introducing ourselves going around in a circle. And I told, you know, my story that my um, husband had died. And then the person next to me, they didn't, their pet died and they didn't want to share this. They felt horrible that they were there for the loss of their pet. Oh, and yeah. so I was then going, no, it's okay. You know, there's no comparison. Your, your, yes. your grief is your grief. And, but it was really like, I was more like being like compassionate towards them because they felt horrible. They didn't, didn't feel like they should be there because of the, the bigger right. losses. So I thought that was strange. Like I was trying to make this person feel better. Um, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. But you weren't comparing. They were right. feeling less than, but you yeah, were like encouraging them to take yeah. that space. So how many years ago did you write this book? Is this pretty recent? I well, I the... started, you know, jotting my notes down and like doing doodles of cartoons over the past, I'd say three years. And I kept putting it on the shelf and then revisiting it and then putting it on the shelf thinking, oh, this is just, you know, a little project. But um, the more I started sharing drafts with people and friends and widows, the more they were like, you need to publish this. This is a useful resource. And so that's what kept me going to finish it. So it's been the past six months that I really made the push to wrap it up, finish all the 
cartoons and um, work with an editor and a cover designer and all that and actually get it up. But I had you're the illustrator too. I yeah. didn't know that you drew the sad cats. Oh yeah. my gosh. <laughs> yeah. That's really good. Now I really want to color them. <laughs> Thanks. Yo, you should. I'd like to see what you do with it. <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's yeah. amazing. So I, is it, I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but at what point did you feel, or do you feel like hopeful for the future? Do you feel that now? Or at what point did you start feeling like, or was it immediate? I mean, where, where were um, you at with that? Well, so when I saw my husband's body for the last time, I made him a promise that I would not go down. And that promise sometimes has been the only thing that's kept me going. I hopeful is an interesting word because I, I decided that, you know, if I was stuck on this planet earth without him, you know, which I'm sure you can relate to this. A lot of widows are like, okay, if I'm stuck down here, what am I going to do with this? brand new life that I have to create. I said, well, if I'm stuck down here, I'm just going to try and make it as interesting as possible. So I've just been trying to, um, I find nature to be the best medicine. So I spend a lot of time in nature. I explore different places to go kayaking or hiking or just um, exploring new groups. Like everybody in the paddling community is really great. So that's what I find interesting. And that's what uh, kind of keeps me going. So would that be uh, like a self-care practice? Or do you have like specific self-care practices besides that? Yeah, I mean, that's um, one of my foundational self-care practices is being in nature for sure. But you know, I was doing a lot of self-care even before I met my husband, because I've always been interested in like, personal growth and healing. And I'm a big fan of therapy. And I did a lot of EMDR. Have you heard of that? Yes, I, I did it once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I've done that for years. And it was interesting because it seemed like it was a lesser known therapeutic technique when I first started doing it many years ago um, with this really great therapist. Mm-hmm. And then when I was on that widow's group, I was really surprised that all of them were like, oh, you got to do EMDR. EMDR is the best. It's so helpful because it's right. specific for trauma and PTSD. So, right. and um, so for our listeners, that would be, is it eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing and reprocessing? Well, I couldn't, I couldn't remember yeah, what the that's R was. pretty good. You got the three. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I know some is with the eyes and yeah, it was, it was powerful when I did it. I did it once to, it wasn't um, around the trauma of Dave's death, but um, yeah. it was an, another trauma and it was really helpful to just kind of take take a lot of the, the, I guess, trauma or just a lot of the heaviness out of it. So I could just kind of process it kind of almost on an observational level. It was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan of it. I think it can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. And I also did um, what I called happy therapy. (laughs) So, you know, it took me months after Wes died to feel even a slight break in the grief you know, because it was 24 seven for so long. And grieving that intensely is exhausting. So when I first started to feel a tiny little bit of relief from like a little break in the clouds, I would breathe it in. And just like, let my body sort of relearn what it was like to feel a little bit okay. 
And I always called it happy therapy because I did it very intentionally to just breathe that feeling in. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of widows say they feel guilty for feeling okay or having fun. But I think it's really, really important to be able to, you know, put grief on the shelf for a little while anyway, because it'll always be there, always. And you can, you know, get back to it. You know, it's, it's not like it's going to go away. But I think it's really important for, you know, my mental health to be able to take some breaths in between feeling those big waves of grief. And because it's, it can be relentless. And I think it's important for mind, body and spirit to um, take a breather from that intensity. Well, how did you know to do that? I mean, that's so intuitive. Like, how did you know that that's what you needed? I don't know. It just kind of came to me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm going to do happiness therapy. And I knew, you know, when Wes was talking to people um, who had lost somebody, his question to them, you know, which other people have asked is, what would your person want for you? And invariably, the answer is to be happy. And so I was also remembering that. And I was like, well, Wes would want me to be happy. So that kind of, that, that helped, that helped keep me in the game. Mm -hmm. And that promise to him that I wouldn't go down because it's really can be so difficult to find your way out of a trauma like that, the loss of your special beloved person. Your person who's got your back and tell all your things to. So yeah. Yeah. I was uh, really fortunate because I have uh, these two friends of mine. One of them, I, I could call at any time. And I ended up calling him almost every day, like when Wes first died. And I would be like kind of apologetic, but I'd call him up and I'd say, um, it's me again. <laughs> and he didn't mind. He didn't mind and he had the time. And so he would talk to me because, you know, when you lose your person, you lose that. Um, you don't have that person to talk to or text. Right. And I had another friend who I said, you know, a lot of people cannot handle the full story of my grief. Like I can't tell them exactly what's going on with me internally. It's too intense. They can't handle it. And I was like, can I just email you? Can I just write to you and tell you what's going on? And I said, you know, tell me if you can't handle it you know, it's okay if you can't just be honest and let me know if it's too intense for you. Um, And he was like, no, absolutely. You can tell me everything. And I said, you know, you don't even have to respond. I just, it's too hard for me to like journal. Mm -hmm. I need to like write in relationship with somebody. So I just poured my heart out to him and told him everything. Every night I would send him these long emails and he could handle it. He could be a container for it. And those two functions were so helpful, so helpful. And I'm, I'll be forever grateful. I mean, other people were helpful in so many ways. And I'm so grateful for everybody's help. But those two things in particular really helped me. Wow. You know, I think people do want to help. There are people in your life that want to help. They just don't know what to do. Yeah. So for you to be able to say, hey, this is what I need. You don't have to respond, but this is how I'm going to process my mm-hmm. grief. This is how I feel like I can process this the best. Yeah. Um, did he ever, would he respond to your emails? Oh or? yeah. Okay. Yeah. Lots of times. Yeah. Mm. And the friendship got really deep. 
Right. Well, yeah. How can it not? Yeah. 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 Right. Oh, what beautiful friends. Yeah. 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 I feel so lucky to have them. I know we had talked uh, before you have like kind of went on an adventure. I mean, you've moved after Wes's death, correct? Yeah. 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 So I've, I worked remotely even before the pandemic. So when he, I'm originally from Minneapolis and um, we had moved to Northern California to live closer to his son. And then when he passed, I was kind of at a crossroads because I, it would have kind of made sense to go back to Minnesota, but I couldn't deal with the winters. And I thought, Mm -hmm. since I can work remotely, when I'm 90 years old, I'll wish that I had had an adventure. So I ended up moving to Eugene, Oregon for a year. And then I moved to Portland and it's still kind of surreal to me to find myself here starting a new life because, you know, I spent so many years focused on Wes's health. My goal in life was to keep him alive and healthy and happy as long as possible. And then when he died, suddenly I had to find a new way and you know, every widow and widower has to do that too, where it's like, what does life look like now? Because I'm a completely different person. And it's, you know, everybody, you know, I'd heard, oh, you're completely different on the other side of losing your partner. And I kind of understood that intellectually, but I didn't have words for it. And I don't even know if I have words for it now, you know, like maybe my friends and family would be able to describe how I'm different better, but in my skin, I feel like a completely different person. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what, what gives me purpose now? And who am I? And what do I want? What do I want life to look like? And it's, it can be really difficult to find your way, especially since I, I didn't really know anybody when I moved to Portland. So I was starting from scratch (laughs) and, you know, and I still have this feeling like it's an adventure and it's an experiment and we'll just see where it leads. And you know, it's been a good place for me so far, but it is, I have those surreal moments where I'm like, Wes is gone and I live in Portland. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> I did not anticipate that, you know, yeah, never 10 years ago. This, yeah. never in a million years. But those are questions. Those are the same questions I ask myself. What do I want my life to look like? You know, yeah. what, like life is different now. How do I want to proceed in the future? What do I want? You know, how do I want my kids' lives to be? I don't think, you know, I, I don't look different. My physical form didn't change, but I'm different on the inside. And, and it's also like just different how I like chit chat. That's sometimes that's hard because yeah. it's like, it's so superficial and we've had deep, deep things happen to us, mm-hmm. deep traumatic things. And it's so funny. Like with, when I meet a widow for the first time, we just get right down to it. You know, right. we don't talk yes. about the weather or whatever. It's just like, no, you get down and dirty yes. <laughs> into it. And it's, it's like this immediate like kinship. Yeah. Somebody told me that, you know, when you become a widow, you develop this widow radar and widows just find each other. And I've mm-hmm. found that too. And like you said, as soon as I meet a widow, there's an instant connection. Like you instantly know the secret handshake and you're instantly understand each other's lived experience and your yeah. best friends. And it's kind of amazing to have those connections. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is, it's pretty intense, but um, yeah, just kindred spirits. I love, I love my, yeah. my, my, the friends that I've made since I've been, I love all my friends, but I've made some really, really intense connections um, since, 
you know, after Dave died and I don't think I would be doing that great without them. So, you know, right. I don't think I'd be doing that well. It's, yeah. it's nice to not feel so alone. Yes. Well, your book is full of great advice, but so I'm going to put you on the spot and okay. ask you what's like your favorite piece of advice that you could give others who are supporting a widow or somebody who lost their person. I would say um, it's definitely to listen yeah. without saying anything, without giving advice. And that's so hard for a lot of people because people are so naturally, they go into fix it mode. And when somebody, you know, is, is, is crying, like it makes them uncomfortable. And so they want to get them to stop crying and sort of cheer up. And I think it can be so difficult to just be silent. Mm. And I think it's so important because, you know, grief is a process. And so um, when somebody's having really intense emotions and crying or whatever, to just give them the floor and let them move through it. And, you know, be okay with uncomfortable, awkward feeling silence. You know, I think I said in the book to just feel your feet on the floor and just let it, let there be silence because you might find that when you allow silence, eventually the other, the person who's grieving will likely say something and being able to have that space helped them get to the point where they're sharing something really deep that they wouldn't have gotten to if you had sort of guided the conversation or mm -hmm. jumped in with questions or something. So I think listening is really underrated and people don't really know how to do it, but to be a deep listener and be a witness of somebody's grief is so powerful. Listening is underrated. I think I'm going to get that tattooed somewhere on my body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a great lesson for everybody. And even, even somebody who like me, I've, you know, I'm a widow. I've experienced deep, deep grief. And sometimes I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what yeah. to say. I feel awkward. Just what you said there. Just listen, just listen. You don't have to guide the conversation. Just listen. Right. And, you know, same for me. I make mistakes. I mess up and, you know, I'll say something and be like, oh my God, that's in my book. I wrote a book about this and it's on page whatever. And I just did it. <laughs> and <laughs> I wrote I a cartoon. I made a cartoon yeah. too. Why didn't I remember this? <laughs> yeah. And then I just totally messed up and said the wrong thing. But I think that's another really important part of this, you know, for anybody is that to forgive yourself if you mess up, you know, because this whole thing, it's messy and we don't know what to say and everybody's different. So the perfect thing to say to one person might be the absolutely wrong thing to say to somebody else because some widows appreciate it when somebody says you're really strong and other widows just hate that and they really react to it. So, you know, it's a messy landscape, but just try and be gentle with yourself if you mess up because that's where I think people you know, they like go into shame or they freak out and start, you know, beating themselves over the head because they did it wrong or they maybe hurt somebody's feelings. But it's better to just sort of stay in there and hang in there with all of its messiness than to leave because right. it's really painful to have friends ghost you because they're scared of you and are afraid that they're going to make things worse. It's like, you know, get in there and, and have it be messy if you care and you love that person, I think things will work themselves out. And like I say in the book, you can always say, wow, I, 
I really messed up. Sorry, I just, I messed up. I'm new with this. And, you know, just, you know, move on together because yeah. people can feel if your heart's in the right place, you know. Like a sincere apology goes a long way. You know, yeah, you can always say, hey, I'm messy. I'm a messy human. Because yeah. that's life. Everybody loses face. Yeah. You know, and if you if you're in a relationship where you can't make mistakes, then the relationship is probably not so strong mm -hmm. anyway, you know, because then when you're in the situation where there's like a crisis or something, it's going to get even messier. And to be in a relationship where you can lose face and forgive each other, forgive yourself and hang in there and move forward. It's a real gift. I, I just, I love your book. I have, I, sh, you know, I probably shouldn't color in it because I may, I'm probably going to want to give this to somebody. <laughs> They're going to be like, what three-year-old is coloring outside the lines here, but I will get another book. It's, it's great. Helping through heartache an easy guide to supporting anyone who is grieving by Sheila Hoover. Um, and you can get it on where Amazon, on Amazon. Okay. and I have a, a Spanish translation on the way soon, uh -huh. I hope. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Reach more people. Got to reach yeah. all the people we can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been great having you on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it, Sheila. Yeah. Thank you. I really yeah. appreciate the opportunity. And thank you, Filled with Gold podcast listeners. If you'd like to hear more conversations like this, please subscribe, review, and share this podcast with others. Take care of yourself and see you next week. Thanks for joining us this week on the Filled with Gold Widow Podcast. This show is made possible by our company, Filled with Gold Self-Care Subscription Boxes for Widows. It's a box specifically created to support you with self-care in mind. Each box is filled with self-care products and resources to encourage you to deeply care for yourself during this time when you are rebuilding your life. You can find out more about the Filled with Gold Subscription Box at filledwithgold.org. And if you want a free widow self-care support guide to help you on this journey, head on over to filledwithgold.org and subscribe to our email list to have it delivered right to your inbox. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode. This is Melissa Pierce, and from my heart to yours, take care of yourself.